it simple, really. Great stories with a good cup of tea. It's the Tea with Mike show. From Iranian revolution to uh, shooting A-list celebrities, welcome to the latest episode of the Tea with Mike show with Ali G. Grab a cup of tea, sit back, and enjoy. All right, guys, welcome uh, to another episode of the Tea with Mike show. Uh, joining me uh, for this one is Ali. Welcome to Tea with Mike, Ali. Thank you very much. Uh, good. Hello from Hong Kong to everybody. I've got my tea ready here, and uh, I see you have a more colorful cup. Uh, so <laughs> I just try to I just try to get something to match my shirt. <laughs> you know, I'm very I'm very simple that way. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Awesome. So let's just uh, jump right into the show. Do you want to start by telling everyone a little bit about you? Sure, absolutely. So uh, I'm Ali Gorbani. I go by Ali G, uh, the real one, uh, not not the guy named <laughs> Sasha, uh, the comedian. But um, I'm a professional photographer. I currently live in Hong Kong. I moved here approximately 19 years ago, and um, I work with people, um, events, and I also do weddings. So weddings is a big part of my business. And uh, most of my photography, I would say 90% of it is people-based. Very little of it is product-based. And um, that's kind of what I do. Awesome, awesome, man. So let's kind of start at the beginning. Do you, do you want to tell everybody, uh, just touch on how you were uh, living in Iran, and then there was the Iranian Revolution in 1979, and then kind of what that meant for you and your family? Sure, sure. So... Um, so I'm, I'm originally Persian uh, or, or from Iran. Uh, if, you, if you guys know a little bit of history, uh, Persia used to be an empire, actually. And uh, so we have, you know, a huge and, and colorful history, you know, from po uh, poetry to, to art to music, uh, mathematics. Uh, you know, the Iran was part of the actual Silk Road. So we have a lot of trade experience, you know, uh, lots of uh, trade with different countries from India to China. So we've actually, you know, taken a lot of cultural things from the different cultures that uh, we, we crossed and they also came through us, right? So um, we had a revolution where we had a king which, who was uh, deposed and then a, a new regime came. And after the revolution, there was a war, Iran and Iraq. So at that time, uh, my family actually left and we first moved to England. After a few months in England, we went to France and eventually we made it to the U.S. where we could actually, you know, build our new life there. So that's a little bit of my journey. It was about a two year journey going from Iran to the United States. That's, that's, cr that's crazy because just touching how multiple countries and then getting a little snippet and a little glimpse of um, each of those cultures before uh, arriving at the final destination. Absolutely. And, you know, one of the one of the things which I still actually remember quite vividly is, you know, we used to have, uh, of course, during the war, there would always be attacks, aerial attacks. Right. Oh, yeah. I, used to, I used to live in the capital, uh, Tehran. So, you know, we would actually hear the sirens going off, which, well, which, 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 which was the alarm for us to go into the bomb shelter. So we would pick our, uh, our, our we had a little kit, which was radio, uh, water, flashlight and blanket. And we would run into the bomb shelter. And then we would listen to the radio, wait for the green signal. The green signal meant that the space was actually safe now and we could go back into you know, our home. But through that whole time, you know, when the city is just blanketed, uh, dark, all the electricity is off, everything, you can, you can hear the anti-aircraft missiles from the top of buildings trying to hit the Iraqi airplanes. 
right? And this is something that I would never wish on any other uh, person, especially children, to, to go through, right? But, you know, when you're going through these kind of experiences, I believe it also builds character, right? Because when you're talking about, well, you know, I, I, I lived through a war and a revolution, so, you know, a little bit of economic downturn or, you know, a virus, you know, I can, I can work through that, right? So, yes. um, so yeah, it's, it's, a, you know, it's a pretty, pretty tough uh, background. And, and the final thing on this before we can move on, do you, do you remember the longest time that you were stuck in, in the bunker? Um, I would say probably about an hour to hour and a half. Yeah. Yeah. So and, you know, and the thing is, you know, it would also happen in the daytime, right? Because, right. you know, obviously when it's, when it's, when it's war, it's unpredictable, right? So um, I remember during the daytime, what would happen is they, they would hit the sirens and we would come out of school, right? And we would step outside, almost like when you have an earthquake, right? Because they don't want, if, if, if the bomb hits nearby and the school starts to collapse or buildings start to collapse, they don't want people to be inside. So we would actually come outside of the school and be in the yard, wait for everything to pass. Oh, wow. It's, from, what, from that story, it sounds like, of course, you never wish it on anyone, but to, to, I'm sure you can still vividly hear some of the sounds to this day and, and picture uh, the environment and how scary, scary it is. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I, I, I grew up, uh, I mean, when, during the revolution, I used to actually see the res revolution happening. So I watched it live happening. You could see burning tanks in the streets. You could see all the demonstrations. And then during the war, of course, the news the whole time is just covering the war, right? You know, how many, you know, uh, uh, of the enemy were killed today and how many airplanes were shot down and all that kind of stuff. So you're surrounded by these things. And then when you watch the, the, the TV, they would also show a lot of, you know, kind of war movies where, you know, the, the underdogs, you know, would, would, would yeah. win, you know, against the German fighting, you know, um, you know, machine and all that kind of stuff just to get people's morale up that, hey, you know, we can do this and we can win this war, right? Wow, that's crazy. And then so by the time you, uh, by the time you reached aged uh, 12, you've already uh, had a, a lot of uh, life experience and uh, built up a lot of uh, character. And at age 12, you started your uh, first business. So how did that come about? And did anyone influence you to start that business? Okay, so a uh, great question, actually. So um, at that time, we were living in France. And okay. every day, every day to, to go to school, I used to walk through this little, you know, bamboo forest. And, you know, as a kid, right, I, I, I cut up one and I used it as a walking stick. You know, like you see in the, in, oh, in, cool. in, in, in the yeah. movies and stuff, just to have something, right? You know, you want to you wanna twirl it, you want to walk with it, just to have something. Because back then, you know, there was no, uh, you know, mobile phones and, you know, electronic games and all that kind of stuff. So you kind of had to do with what you could find, right? Um, and then one day when I was walking back uh, to home, one of the neighbors, it was this elderly lady, and uh, she said, hey, uh, you know, Where'd you get that stick? You know, uh, are you are you selling? Can you can you can you get me some oh. more of these sticks? And, and I said, well, what do you need it for? She said, well, I have a whole bunch of plants um, on my balcony, and they're all kind of falling over. So I'm looking for this kind of sticks so that I can actually you know put them up so they can actually grow nice. I said, sure, I can get them for you, uh, five francs each at the time. Um, it was approximately 10 francs to the US dollar. So I was, okay. you know, so I was charging 50 cents a bamboo stick. And, <laughs> and, and, she, and, she, and, she, and she was like, you know, I'll, I'll take, you know, 10, 10 sticks. 
So I started yes. going. I started going to the little bamboo forest, and I started <laughs> cutting down the forest, right? And I would, you know, take the leaves off, make it look nice, you know, nice and polished, right? And I started to 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 sell to her. And then her neighbor saw, right? And they were like, "Hey, where'd you get these sticks?" She said, "Well, I got it from this kid, you know, na- name name Ali. Maybe you can, you know, ask him." So I started supplying the whole <laughs> building with, with with bamboo sticks. Everyone's plants looked amazing. So you know, so I added value to them. And at the same time, I made I made money. So I used that money. If you remember, during that time, we used to have these uh, sports catalogs. Well, you're, you're you're very young, so maybe you don't remember. It was it was <laughs> it was these catalogs when they had, for example, the European uh, football championships, right? Okay. And they would have, they would have all they would have all the uh, yeah. all the teams and the brand. I think was called Panini, right, or something, right, yeah. right, right. And then you would buy the stickers and you would put it there. And then with your friends, you would trade, right? Oh, yeah. So that was my way to have my own money to go buy stickers and start a little trading, you know, with with, with, with friends. So then I learned a little bit of, you know, of the art of trading, like, you know, which card is more valuable than the other one. So I'll give you one of mine, but I want three of yours, right? A little bit of negotiation. So it was all about doing actually, right? Uh, at that point, I didn't have much reference point, but I do know that some of it was in my blood because my grandfather was uh, in the Persian rug business. That's R-U-G, not D-R-U-G, right? <laughs> right? So he was in the Persian rug business. And, uh, you know, I think some of that blood is instilled in you, right? So, you know, and of course, you know, again, being from the culture where we are used to doing so much trading and so on and so forth. So that became my first business ever at the age of 12, was supplying the building with, with uh, you know, bamboo sticks and everyone's plants looked awesome. And uh, and yeah, that was that was the beginning. That's that's awesome. So uh, how long did you uh, kind of end up doing this business for? Was it just a summer or a year or two? Well, we only lived in France for about a year and a half, okay. and then, and then we uh, moved to the United States. Okay, so um, when I moved to the U.S., uh, I was around approximately thirteen, more or less, right? Yeah. And um, you know, and then start to go to school there. Um, I didn't have much business yet, but when we were applying um, for our green card, right, uh, residency for the U.S., yeah. the, the U.S. government said, okay, once your turn comes, um, you need to do an interview for the green card. And the interview for the green card had just happened to be in actually in Berlin, which at the time was West Berlin. So this was November of 1989, and this was the fall of the Berlin Wall. So my uncle gave me a camera, 35 millimeter film camera, and he said, and he said, you know, this is a historic moment. Make sure you take lots of photos when you go. So of course I knew nothing about photography. I had seen plenty of images. Uh, you know, my, part of my inspiration actually came from Charlie Chaplin movies. Because if you remember, they were all, they were all they were all silent, right? So there was no dialogue; right. it was all silent, and that showed me the power of moving pictures and also still pictures, right? Because you know, when you when you're growing up looking at photos and looking at silent movies, you're kind of putting the things together. You start seeing how the story develops, right, through a series of images. So when we got to Berlin, I was just overwhelmed. I was just blown away, right? This is the fall of the Berlin Wall. Um, the basically, you know, the, 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 the end of the Cold War, if you want to call it, and uh, the fall of the Soviet Union, right? The USSR, the Soviet bloc. So I started concentrating on the people, the 
uh, emotions and the details, right? Because there was, you know, fireworks, there was music, there were people crying, there were people, oh, wow. there were people kissing the kissing the wall, there were people breaking the wall, there were there were holes in the wall, and people were taking photos through the holes of the East German guards on the other side. They were right. posing like a, like like football Gymnasium. team yeah. members, right? Yeah. Uh, and you know, again, it, it's 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 film, so it's not digital, right? You can't see what you're shooting. Right. So it's not like I take a photo and be like, oh, let me just adjust it. So I'd take a whole bunch of photos, which most of them didn't come out good anyway, because I had no idea of exposure and all that kind of stuff. But eventually, you know, that formed a foundation of what is my photography today, which a lot of it is people based. Right. Awesome. And then. Oh, you you just uh, every every part of your life is like its own mini story that. That helps build to the next one. Oh, thank you, thank you. Yeah. So, okay. So, so that's so that's pretty cool. So that's talking a little bit how you got started in uh, photography, yeah. and then one of your uh, interests uh, early on in your uh, career was uh, electrical engineering. So, what kind of interested you about this subject area, and why did you decide to go to university? Okay. Excellent. Very good question. So. I'd always, you know, uh, been, been fascinated with uh, things, electrical, mechanical, right? You know, I, again, as a kid where, you know, you don't grow up on the age of internet, right? Back, back then there was, there was no, there was no internet. Uh, internet would happen to me when I was like in university, right? Um, and so you, you start to kind of, you know, you, you, you notice more, you observe more of the world around you, right? And you try to look at things and how things work, right? How a TV works and so on and so forth, right? And that always piqued my interest. So I've always been fascinated with mechanical things, electrical things. And I asked early on, you know, to to uh, my my dad, and I said, you know, how do I how do I learn more about this? He said, well, this is kind of what engineers do, right? So I was okay. like, oh, okay, oh, okay, okay, engineering, okay, that sounds good. So I, I I took a little bit more, you know, a little bit more research on engineering, and said, well, you know, this is pretty cool. I can kind of find out and learn about how things work, how things are built. And I said, oh, engineering is good. I also had an interest in in cooking because I love to eat, right? But 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 but, but when I was thinking to go to uh, to university, you know, I was I looked at it purely as a financial decision, right? And I was, and I was like, okay, do I really want to bust my you know bust my ass for so long as a as a you know a whatever a dishwasher and then a sous chef and eventually maybe a chef? Or do I want to go into engineering where the starting salary was much, much higher, right? At the time yeah. when I went into engineering, the starting salary was around 40 to 45,000 US dollars per year, which as a college graduate is fantastic, right? Yes. So, um, so I said, you know what? Let's, let's, let's put our time and go into engineering. So I really worked hard on my science and my math, which is the main things which are needed for engineering. And I ended up getting a scholarship to Clemson University in South Carolina. And um, I, I went there to, to, to study engineering. So I had a four-year scholarship. And my final year, I was out of money. But one of, but one of my dreams ever since I was six, since I had started playing football, right? Or and as the Americans call it, soccer, right? Yeah, was, I mean, was, football's Exactly, exactly. So one of my dreams was actually to uh, to to play football uh, and to go to Brazil. Okay, so oh, cool. my final year in a university, I created this relationship between my university and one of the top engineering schools in Brazil 
to go as an exchange student. However, I was the pioneer. I created the relationship. So what happened was I went from my university, but nobody was coming yet from the other university. I was the first person to create this relationship. That's so cool. So that year I got to fulfill another lifelong dream, which was to go to Brazil and to play football there. I trained the whole summer before that to get in shape because I knew that if I was gonna go to Brazil, I couldn't you know, muck around, right? So I worked <laughs> to, get it, to, to get in shape on my football skills, you know, on everything, right? And it just so happened that the summer before I went to Brazil, it was the 1996 Olympic Games. And one of my dreams also was to partake in a major sporting event internationally. By partake means just to participate, right? I don't have to yeah. be an athlete. I just want to be there. I just want to experience this world stage, right? So I spent the few months before that applying for and uh, getting accepted into the role of sports information supervisor for soccer oh. stationed in the Olympic Village. And I, I got the job in Atlanta. So the month before going to Brazil as an exchange student, I was in Atlanta and I worked in this role. The role was purely voluntary, you know, and, and like, you know, like, uh, you know, uh, Gary V says, you know, you got to eat dirt. Right. So I, <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I found a college professor of mine who had an extra room in her home in Atlanta because I wasn't uh, living in Atlanta. I wasn't from Atlanta. And yeah. she said, you know what, I will, I will house you. I said, you know what? God bless you. Thank you so much. So I, now I had a place to stay for a month because imagine trying to pay hotel and all that kind of stuff, right? Oh, so I used, to help her, so yeah. I used to help her with all the you know house chores and whatever I could, right? To, just to repay her a little bit. And every day I would go to the Olympic Village because every day was a new adventure. And I eventually got to meet the Brazilian football team. So the original, oh. the original Ronaldo, I will, I will actually email you the photo. You can, you can, you know, show it to, 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 uh, you know, put it here. I used to, I used to have hair. I used to have a big afro. So I, so I, so I met the original. I missed the original Ronaldo, uh, Juninho, Bebeto, yeah. Roberto Carlos. I met all oh, these, wow. and, and I took photos with them, right? So these photos I printed out. I made into an album, and I carried that album with me when I went to Brazil. So when I went to Brazil, the first thing I did was. I went to look for people to play football with because that was my dream. I was like, I'm now in Brazil. This is the holy land, the holy grail. I'm going to go play football. So I went to and, and you know, and, you know, there's there's pickup games all the time everywhere. Just like you know, exactly. So I went and, you know, I, I made some friends event, you know, uh, eventually they invited me to, to, to play because they have like these pickup games. Right. Where, you know, uh, there's like five on five or seven on seven and then it's 10 minutes or two goals. Right. So what happens is if they need an extra player, I was like, hey, guys, I'm volunteering if you guys need an extra player. So like, OK, let's put the gringo in and let's see what happens. So, <laughs> so you know, and like I said, you know, I, I, I had worked hard the summer before, even during the Olympics. I used to train a lot and uh, I was in shape. So I went in and scored a couple of goals. I got their attention. So they're like, who's this guy? So they started talking to me and I was like, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm Ali from Iran. They were like, Iran, we've never met anybody from Iran. Tell us about your culture. Tell us about, you know, the food you eat. We, we, we know you guys play, you know, a lot of soccer. You know, we've seen it on TV. And yeah. uh, so what I did was I, I, I brought out this photo album, right? I was like, I'm a big fan of Brazil. Here are my photos, right? And, you know, when they say a picture speaks, you know, a thousand words, that time it really made an impact for me and I could really see the power of photography because I didn't have to say anything. Here is me 
standing in front of them. And here's me, a photo of me with one of their uh, national team heroes, Ronaldo. Okay. Yeah. And, and that year, you know, to my benefit or whatever you want to call it, that year, Ronaldo won the FIFA Player of the Year Award. Okay. In 1996. So he became a global megastar. So everybody yes. knew him, not just Brazil, everybody knew him, right? So these photos became like gold for me. So every party I used to go to, I used to carry the damn album as well. And that was my way of making friends because I couldn't really speak Portuguese. I was just learning, right? Uh, but again, these photos led into my conversation with people. And then we started making friends like at Domino's, right? Because they were like, hey, guys, come over here. Look at this guy, da, 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 right? So that year was extremely influential on my life. Uh, showed me the power of photography because again there was no social media back then, right? I was not there was no Facebook, there was no Instagram, mm. there was none of that kind of stuff, right? Everything was actually in person, right? Even even mobile phones. I like like you know I remember some friends used to have beepers, right? <laughs> so so even even my dorm when I used to when I used to live in Brazil there was there was no phone there. I had to go to the public phone to call friends. I was like, hey, guys, can you pick me up like in one hour in front of the whatever, you know, the, the burger place or whatever. And then I had to hope that, you know, in one hour they're going to show up. Right. So um, so that's a little bit. Sorry, I, 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 I got carried away with excitement because when I got to talk about Brazil and, 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 and stuff, I get carried away. But that's a little bit of story of, you know, leading into uh, Brazil. And oh, by the way, I, I did um, join the university team. Okay. Uh, they accepted me as a guest, and and I, and, I, and I played with them, and that was to me uh, I, I fulfilled a lifelong dream where I got to play football with Brazilians in Brazil. So at that time I was 22, going on 23, right? And I was like, okay, you know what? I've just fulfilled one of my life's you know biggest dreams. So now it's time to set the next dreams in motion. Oh wow, okay. 20. Nice. So, uh, really enjoying uh, the conversation so far. So, Thank let's you. let's have a little pause. Yeah. So, I, I know you love the drinking tea. Um. So, what's your favorite type of tea? Oh, very good question. So, um, so the tea that I'm drinking today, I, I come from a tea culture, right? Uh, so Iran, Iran is very, very much into tea, and now I live in Hong Kong, which is, you know, again, a huge tea culture. So the tea that I'm actually drinking today, um. It's a blend, and I okay. brought and I and I brought the jar. So this blend was uh, actually made by my mom, and it's a combination of teas uh, from from Iran and also uh, including you know Darjeeling and some of the other teas. So what we do is when we make this kind of mixture of tea, we add things for different reasons. Um, one we add for the aroma, okay. The other one we add for the taste, right? And then the other one we add a little bit for uh, the color and the health benefits, okay? So this is a mixture okay. of all those. So what we do for this is we actually pour the tea um, into water which is not boiling because you don't want to over overdo it, obviously, right? right. And, and then we let it brew. So that brewing process brings a lot, you know, of the flavors and the colors out, right? And, uh, you know, I don't know if you're a, a purist, uh, you know, it doesn't matter if you are or not, uh, but I like to drink this kind of tea without any added Things. However, in Iran, we love to have it with sugar cubes. So um, we drink it. We drink it hot. In, in, in fact, you know when you have the tea and you have the little uh, tea saucer, 
And, yes. And we and we love to drink the tea hot. So what we do is we take a sugar cube, we put it in front of our mouth, we pour the tea in the little saucer, and it's still you know steaming hot. Yeah. And we drink it and we drink it from the saucer. Oh, wow. so, so that tea goes through the sugar cube and gets sweetened as it goes down. Okay. Oh, wow. Right. Now, however, you know, I'm trying to you know uh, cut cut down on, on sugar so I can go back to you know my modeling life. Um, so, <laughs> so I'm not having it with sugar. I'm having it pure as a, as as a tea, but. That's a little bit of you know the the tea that I I like to have at home. Of course, being in Hong Kong, we have huge access to 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 tea from all over the world, uh, including China. One of my favorites is the flower tea. I don't know if you if you've seen it no. or heard of it. So so they so they take the flowers and and they and they compress it so it becomes a little ball. Uh, in fact, I should send you a pack. Uh, when 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 um, when I go out, I, I'll get you a pack and I'll send you. So Please. this ball, you put it into a huge cup or a flask, which is you know kind of like 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 a little fish bowl, let's say, right, a big one. Yeah. And then, and then when you put the hot water, it the, the, the it opens up, and the and the flower comes out. Okay. Wow. So it's amazing, especially if you have guests and you want to impress them. You know, you say, well, this is this is tea I made for you. You can drink it, but it also looks amazing. So uh, especially now, you know, it's very Instagrammable. Uh, so, <laughs> so, so that'll be definitely a hit when you have guests over to even, you know, That's... even your place. Uh, awesome. So, so... so tell me about a fun fact of... Uh, of, uh, of tea, because I know, you know, you're, you're, you're huge. In fact, you know, that's how you get the name uh, Tea with Mike. Sure, sure, man. But uh, before I tell you that, uh, just touching off uh, the, the, the sugar lumps in tea. Uh, yeah. When I was a lot younger, I used to uh, spend a lot of time with my grandparents. Okay. And one of, the, one of the favorite things we used to do after we'd been for like a long walk in the countryside is we'd go to like a local cafe, mm -hmm. uh, very picturesque. And they used to have a tea, and then you could get sugar lumps, and you could put them in your tea, and then like also mints and like yes. afternoon tea, basically. So, yes. So that's so 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 that was uh, pretty cool. Yeah. And then the tea fact for the episode is here we go. The word tea comes mm -hmm. from the Chinese tea apostrophe e, which was the word in the Amoy uh, dialect for the plant from which tea leaves came. In Mandarin, the word was ch apostrophe a, which is where the words cha and chai are derived from. And that comes from uh, foodnetwork.com. Yes, yes, exactly. Very good. Um, yes, here we say cha. In fact, when we go when we go for dim sum, right? Uh, you've heard of you've heard of the Chinese dim sum. Uh, which is, you know, like like the let's say the Chinese version of tapas, right? Where you have small dishes. The yeah. dim sum, the dim sum in Cantonese uh, is called yamcha, which means to drink tea. It's not, hey, let's go have tapas. It's yamcha to drink tea. So it, it goes exactly with what what you just said. Yes. Also, what a great tea fact for this episode. Cool. And then, so th this is a great um, spot for you if you want to talk a little bit about this uh, calendar edge. Uh, that you've created uh, for charity um, kind of during the pandemic. Okay, yes. So um, so what happened was, you know, um, my, 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 my photography when, when I came to Hong Kong actually as an engineer. So I started engineering, I started right. working as an engineer, and then that job sent me to Hong Kong, right? 
So that job sent me to Hong Kong. And then after a year and a half, I resigned from engineering. And I was like, you know, what should I do? What can I do? Uh, I came across this, uh, this, this, this gentleman. His name is uh, Rene. Um, he, he, he and I, we're, we're like family. And also, you know, his, his wonderful wife and the rest of his family. And um, I started a small trading company. And uh, this trading company, um, we started trading chicken feet. Okay, so I was I was I was selling I was selling chicken feet from Brazil, which was again you know I had this history, so again comes back to Brazil, right? I was selling chicken feet from Brazil to China. So China had you know has this insatiable appetite for chicken parts, uh, for beef parts, you know cow parts and so on, and they don't produce and, and they don't produce enough. So we started to fill this void, right? And this again going back to being an entrepreneur and you know hustling and doing whatever it takes because you know what i didn't really care what i'm trading as long as it was you know uh, it, it did, was, did no harm it was not illegal yeah. right? and, and you know it was, it was business so you know people say well how did you think of chicken feed well there was demand right and there was you know countries that were throwing it away so you kind of put the things together so you know that business grew uh but then we had financial crisis and when we had financial crisis i asked myself what is the legacy i want to leave behind right when one day i'm no longer here and I said, well, it's not chicken feet, uh, and I'm no longer an engineer, <laughs> right? So, um, so what if I go back to my old passion, which is photography? And what happened was, you know, I, I, I bought my first um, DSLR, which, you know, I've got it uh, over here in the back uh, yeah. behind me, right? And um, I started in the nightclubs of Hong Kong, start taking photos of, you know, DJs and drunk people at three in the morning. Right. Uh, again, eating dirt. Right. Uh, working for almost nothing. And I started to build my name, started to build my brand. I got noticed by some of the shareholders of the nightclub. They start hiring me for their private events. I got noticed by some of the brands. So I started shooting for MHD, which is Moe Hennessy Diageo is part of LVMH group. So I started shooting for Dom Perignon, Krug, uh, Belvedere. I shot the entire James Bond series when the movie opened up in Hong wow. Kong. OK, um, you know, they did and they did and they did events with like Aston Martin. They did, you know, events with the watch uh, company, right? The watch that James Bond was wearing. Uh, I forgot. I forgot which brand it was uh, now. And um, so I shot those. I got into red carpet celebrity events because some of them were also sponsored by Moe Chandon. Right. So I got to photograph, you know, Keanu Reeves, uh, you know, got to photograph uh, Tilda Swinton. Um, uh, Mariah Carey, I've photographed oh. Robert De Niro, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, and so on and so forth. Now, what happened was, while I was doing that, I started to create also my passion project on the side, right? The passion project is what doesn't pay you, but it fulfills you, right, in your heart, right? And what can you do for your community? Because I always believe that the community you take from, you should always also give back, Right. This is part of the cycle. Right. If you only take, then eventually life will take away from you as well. Right. But if you take and you give back, that goes back into the world. Right. Like how we met. Right. We met through Twitter. Right. So this was the world giving back to me, the world giving back to you because you create so much good content. You're giving to the world. Right. So that's kind of how we came. We came across each other. Right. Yeah. Uh, I, I think it's a win win because this is a storytelling show and you've got so many like uh, fantastic uh, stories and with all these stories comes a certain uh, pedigree thank you so so going back to your original question about the calendar so 
So yeah, so so one of my big passions, uh, you know, was was photographing artists. I was always fascinated, you know, by dancers and so on and so forth. One of the photographers I always look up to is Joe McNally, right? He does amazing work with you know with lighting, with with you know with ballerinas and so on. So I started doing photos on the side. I started contacting you know artists and dancers, people I knew, people I didn't know. And I start as I started to build the portfolio, my portfolio got stronger, so I could approach people who were much more professional. So I started approaching people from Cirque du Soleil, because uh, you know, in, in one hour from Hong Kong, uh, there, there's a territory called Macau, it's also part of China. And in Macau, there is a show called The House of Dancing Water, which was started by Franco Dragon, the founder of Cirque du Soleil. So I started contacting some of those uh, you know, dancers who are amazing, amazing athletes. And through uh, you know, my passion and their skill work, I started to create a body of work and this body of work, I turned it into a charity calendar. Now, just, why... just, just move the calendar like over to the right. There you go. Okay. There you go. So, so this, so, so this, so this is the cover, uh, right? Uh, this is Danielle on on the cover, and then I self-produced the calendar. So I went out and I found sponsors. So here, if you look on the bottom, I've I put the the, the logos, including my own. Right. Yeah. And I've got and I've got the sponsors. So I gave each sponsor a full page uh, in, in the calendar. Oh, wow. and, right. And of course, then, you know, so this is one of the, the more of the sponsors because the printing costs money. The calendar right. design costs money. I didn't charge for my time and the artists didn't either. So then this is how the calendar kind of, you know, started started going on. Right. Um, again, so I started producing this. I started approaching different artists. Right. Uh, through this, I found a lighting sponsor, which has now named me on their uh, professional photographer uh, ambassador program. The, light, the lighting oh, yes. company is called Photix. So I love these guys that provide me lighting for all of my work, including today uh, for, for your show. You know, why, oh, why, why I have decent lighting. It's not coming from the computer screen. It's coming from, from this light that I have there uh, above. So anyway... So this is Heather uh, here, here in, in, in this photo. So I, I, so I started, so I started putting these things together, and I created a charity calendar for three years in a row, and I dedicated this calendar to an, an organization called Women Helping Women Hong Kong. Okay, so this became part of my branding and also became something that I could give back to the community. So I printed approximately 800 copies of this calendar. And every year they would have a charity fundraising gala, which they would have, you know, 300 to 350 of the top socialites, let's say in Hong Kong, right, at the gala. So because I would contribute to uh, the charity through photography donation packages, I would also sponsor their event photography. And I made this, I got to put this calendar in the goodie bags of all 300 to 350. Wow. So this became part of my branding. Imagine every day, people looking at my brand and my photos for a year, right? So even though we say, you know, that print is dead and all that kind of stuff, there's a lot of truth into it. Digital obviously overtakes it. However, this was great for me, for people who are, you know, have an office, they have a home and they want something nice because it was became art, right? So I did, yes. it, for, I did it for three years in a row. I got amazing feedback. And of course, you know, my, my, my business grew tremendously as a result of it because when people thought of a photographer, like, oh, that guy, Ali G, he did some awesome work. I've seen, I've seen, I've seen his logo, even people I never met before. When I would give them my business card at an event, they say, oh, I recognize your logo. Somebody gifted me your calendar. So people started buying 
10 calendars, 20 calendars at a time, right? At Christmas time to give it as a gift for the next year. Fantastic. Oh, wow. So that's, so, that's, so that's the calendar story. Man, that's, that's awesome. And then because we're obviously talking about photography um, and you and this, uh, this calendar that you created and you know, through collaboration with lots of uh, other people uh, coming together is all about people. So I, I wanted to ask you, why do you make your uh, photography uh, in quotations 90% uh, people centric? Okay, great question. So, you know, I'm, I'm a people person in general, right? But I had to work on it. I was not always a people person. I was always very shy as a, as a kid. So photography became my medium of communication where I didn't have to put myself in front. I could put the camera in between myself and that person. And the camera would do a lot of the talking because when you create an image which touches someone in their heart and in their soul, oh, okay. then, then when you show them that, they immediately open up, right? And that was always one of the difficult things when you're shy is right to say, well, what do I say this to this person? How do I impress this person? How do I show them who I am? So the photography became my language, right? And through that also became, you know, the language of light, right? So how you portray, how you use light to photograph someone tells also how they perceive themselves. So when you get to show someone a side of them, which they've never seen before, immediately you strike a chord. They're like, oh my God. That doesn't look like me. So when people say that to me, I always say, is that a good thing or a bad thing? And immediately when you say that, they open up with some kind of story. You know what? This reminds me, this reminds me of, you know, uh, when I was doing this show and I was on stage. This reminds me of when I was in my grandma, you know, grandma's home and the early light used to come in the morning and I used to see it hit my grandma, you know, grandma's face. You know, these kind of things, which is now connected emotionally, right? So I think. People photography connects people emotionally, right? And, you know, became, because that became my language, I started to excel at it, right? So now what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to put myself more on camera, as you see, you know, I, I'm, on, I'm on your wonderful show. And at the same time, you know, through social media channels. So I'm making video clips, you know, for Instagram. I've started my own YouTube channel. I would love the, you know, uh, viewers to also check it out. Uh, the YouTube channel is... Ali Studios. Yes. Um, and and going back to the people. So through, you know, when I started a couple, you know, through after a couple of years, I came across this uh, gentleman that I met through my cousin. And this gentleman, his name is Henry, Henry Dalal. And he had a very similar story to mine. And his story was he was also from Iran. He also left Iran because of the war and revolution. And part of his journey took him to the UK, to England. His, fa his fascination, his passion was horses. So he used to get up every morning and go and take photos of the Queen's cavalry, the Royal Cavalry practicing, right? And he would, he would go every day and take photos. He turned those photos into a body of work. He self-published that book. That book got noticed by the Royal family all the way up until he became actually the portrait photographer for Her Majesty, the Queen of England. So wow. when, I, when, I, when I met him and I heard his story and I saw the body of work that he had created, the first thing I, 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 I said was, wow. The second thing I said was, my God, my stuff really sucks. <laughs> okay. <laughs> right? and, the, and, the, and the third thing was, you know what? This is a point of inspiration for me. 
because if he can come from a similar background and turn this passion into a career and go to that level, why can I not do it? And this is what motivated me to hit those red carpet events, which I mentioned earlier, right? The Keanu Reeves and the Robert De Niro's and so on and so forth, because that gave me the confidence to say, well, I can also produce that kind of work, although mine is on a different uh, level because I'm, you know, I'm younger, I'm less experienced than him, but I can work on it. I can build on it if I continue. So, um, so this is kind of how the people-centric thing kind of happened and that eventually you know led me to Indian weddings and I you know I'll let you ask that question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that. You, you could you could have like self-instruct your uh, old interview it's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so so obviously as you uh, so I guess because you've already touched on it what and you said the word confidence were there any uh, other skills or like lessons do you learn from having Henry as a mentor? Um, yes. So, yeah. Right. So, so, so definitely one of the, the main points is as a photographer, uh, you need to know your camera inside out. Okay. You can't, uh, st I'm sorry, but you can't stand in front of, you know, uh, Robert De Niro or, <laughs> you know, or whoever else would be like, you know, I'm sorry, Mr. De Niro. I just gotta, I just gotta figure out these setting things. Cause I'm not really sure. Right. You've already lost whoever it is. Right. Even if it's not Robert De Niro. Right. You've lost that person's attention. Right. And, you know, I, I do a lot of corporate corporate work. So corporate portraits. Right. And when you have like a CEO or someone, you literally have, you know, just a few minutes because these are busy people. Right. So you don't have time yeah. there to be like, you know what, um, I'm, I'm not really sure, you know, why it's being overexposed. You can't you can't come up with, you know, stupid things like that. You can camera and set up. Yeah. Exactly. They expect you as a professional to go up, set set up whatever you need to do, get the photo so they can go on about their day and then you go on about your day. Right. So knowing your camera inside out. Um, number two is the importance of connecting with your audience. Right. Like with, with, with Henry, he would go every day and take these photos until the point where they didn't see him anymore. You know what I mean? He became he became part of the furniture. Right? He became part of the, he became part of you know he became part of training ground or the forest or whatever you want to call it right he became part of the grass right so this is what I try to do now at weddings right to the point where I'm I'm pretty invisible right and this really helps you to get those candid moments right because a lot of photographers can do the pose stuff you know very oh, stiff yeah. look up there and put your hand here and make it look like Vogue and whatever right which is fine for a few shots but eventually you need to get those candid shots because that's what people, you know, want to have as memories, right? So I would say, you know, connecting with people, know your camera inside out. And number number three is work ethic, right? Henry works hard. I mean, I, I see him, you know, because he actually, eventually I, I managed to bring him to Hong Kong with the Royal Geographic Society. And, you know, the, the, the stuff he put together, he put together this amazing presentation, which he also does in the UK. So I think after the Corona is finished, uh, he may restart those. He, he's got a, you know, a, a video presentation and then, he, you know, he, he goes to he makes private private stuff, public stuff, amazing stuff. And um, so work ethic was another part in that, you know, you can't be a professional in whatever field you want to do by just kind of Mickey mousing around and sitting on your ass and be like, oh, you know what? The work is going to come. No, you need to put the work in and eventually the universe will reply back to you. Fantastic. Yeah. And just touching on that uh, before the sh show, I was having a brief look at uh, some of uh, Henry's work on his website. 
Yeah. And he, and he, and he has like the, uh, the, the cavalry and, and the pictures of the holsters and, and, and then he has the presentation of him um, showing his uh, body of work uh, to, to, to right. the Majesty uh, Queen of England. Yeah. And, 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 you can, and you can tell how much, not, I know nothing about him, basically, apart from his name, but you can tell and, learn, and see all of the characteristics that you've just described about the, uh, the production quality yes. of his work. But, right. And then also in the photos, like how passionate he is about yes. what he like, like what he does, and it's all of, more about the craft than than it's about the craft first and, and and the status of the person second. Yes, correct. Very very true. We have you have, you have a very good eye. You have a very good eye. Cool. Okay. So so you touched on it a little bit, but what would you say as as some of the uh, the challenges of working mm. at all these uh, high-profile events, and how well have you learned to cope with their pressure? Okay. Uh, yeah. 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 Good. Good question. So, when I when I first started the uh, photography as a business, right, uh, in 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 Hong Kong, so you know I, I I'm obviously not originally from Hong Kong, and uh, I also don't speak Chinese, um, and I was starting from scratch. So I had a lot of cards stacked against me right um so so you know i think in any business you need to uh remember three things right to succeed you have to be first okay or you have to be the best or you have to be different oh okay? that's good. right so was i the first photographer in hong kong no not by a mile Right? I was not even the first Western photographer in Hong Kong, okay? <laughs> right? So let alone, right? Number two, was I, was I the best? Well, you know, uh, best is relative, right? Your, your idea of best is different from mine, different from Henry, different from so-and-so, right? So, however, I could be different, right? And, right. That's, what, and that's what I concentrated on. I concentrated on being different. So how, what does that mean? Being, being different means I try to focus more on moments and memories rather than poses. So that's one of my mottos. More memories, less poses. More moments, less poses. Because I noticed that a lot of the local photographers were very much into the rigid poses, right? Okay, which, let's set which, up the lighting. Yes, which, 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 yes, which is fine. Yes, which is, which is totally fine. Again, that's their style, right? I'm not you know, knocking on anyone's style. That's what works for them, fantastic. But if I was gonna go into that space, I would bring up, you know, a whole new level of competition, which I wasn't ready to go up against because these are people who've been doing it for 5, 10, 15, 20 years. Right. So I said, well, I can be different. And that's what got my work noticed. Right. Especially in the Indian community in Hong Kong, uh, which is quite a large community. And a lot, a lot of them are, you know, second and third generation. Uh, they came, you know, uh, with, with, with some of your ancestors, <laughs> the Brits, right? Yeah. And, 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 you know, they said, you know, we, we, we love the way you're capturing moments for our family. We love the way you're capturing emotions. And they started to hire me as their family photographer. So what did that mean? That means that, that, means that I started creating a niche, right, which is, there is the other photographers which do the decoration and, you know, they do all the formal stuff and shoot the food, which is, again, <laughs> fantastic and, and necessary, right? Because you're spending, you know, 
I mean, honestly, the, the, the weddings that I that I partake in, you know, they're five to ten million dollars US, right? So you need people to document those things. However, they started putting me as the family photographer. They said, we want you to concentrate on the bride and groom and the immediate family. So my entire wedding is approximately 20 people. That's it. Okay, so it's about getting those moments, which they want to print later, which they want to look back in one year, in two years. They want to show their, their, their kids, their grandkids. They want to show to people, say, you know what? When grandma was alive, when grandpa yeah. was alive, this is that moment when grandma came and gave me a hug and I cried, right? Because now again, you've connected people emotionally, right? So I think that emotional connection is part of my photography success, if you can call it success, right? There's still, you know, lots of work to do, obviously, right? But it's what's gotten me this far, and it's what I try to build up, uh, you know, on this far. So when you're talking about pressure, wedding pressure is totally different from event pressure. Wedding pressure, you've got the bride, you've got the groom, you have, you know, in these weddings, which I told you, there are about 1,500 guests. The wedding, plan the wedding planning team itself is 30 people. Right. So it's, it's, it's not a, it's not a little show. It's a production. Right. And you're talking about, you know, buying out the entire hotel, you know, in, in Koh Samui, in Bangkok. Right. And yeah. you're talking about, you know, one, some of the amazing things I've seen at these weddings is for one wedding. Actually, I need to send you this photo for one wedding. They flew in the Batmobile, the real Batmobile and the wow. groom and the groom made his way around. Okay, the city of Bangkok on the Batmobile. They closed off a few city blocks. They had a police escort and, oh, he, wow. made, and he made his way around. So, you know, sometimes, honestly, I, I, I put the camera down and I just observe and I ask myself, am I really here? Is this is this really happening? I mean, uh, you know, I'm I'm the I'm the guy who, you know, was again like, you know, eating dirt and taking photos of drunk people at three in the morning, you know, like ten years ago or whatever, right? So am I am I really here at this high power, you know, event and wedding, right? And you know, then I you know come back to my senses and I'm like, okay, I need to start taking more photos <laughs> because you know the, the, the Batmobile is moving, right? So you know, bat bat batmobile, elephants, right? Uh, classic, classic cars. You know, horses, right? A groom came on a cavalry, right? He oh, was on the oh. horse. There was a marching band. This was shot in, in in India itself. And it was just an amazing wedding. So these events, you know, blow me away. So that pressure is different from when you're doing celebrity events. Celebrity events, you have the red carpet. You're competing with all the other paparazzi, right? Oh, and, yeah. you know, you got you got your elbows in your ribs and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And you need to go an hour before to, to get to get your little, you know, six inches of space, basically for you to stand right your elbow to elbow, shoulder to shoulder. Right. So what I try to do at those events is I try to make my photos different. So I try to actually take a lot of photos backstage. Right. And again, that's what got me noticed, because if I'm taking the same photo as 300 paparazzi, then really, what what what's what's the purpose of that, right? Is, right, there's not going to be much like difference to exactly, the exactly exactly exactly. So photos I've got of Leonardo DiCaprio of Robert De Niro, they're backstage. They're much more relaxed. They're much more candid, and that's so what, and character exactly. And that's what got me noticed again through those through those things. So so event pressure is different. Wedding pressure is different. Um, and then, of course, you know, when you're working with corporate people, you know, your, 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 your time pressure is different, too. So you need to know, you know, set up all your equipment, all your lighting and take an assistant. 
with your assistant, you do all your tests. So when the guy or the lady walks in, boom, you got the shot. Now you just got to work a little bit on posing, connect with them to make them feel comfortable right. in front of the camera, right? And then done, right? Five minutes in and out, he goes up, she goes up, and you do whatever you have to do. Fantastic. So, so I've, I've, got, I've got a whole page like literally. Oh, wow. Up. Man, you, 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 know, you know we are recording this, right? You don't need to take notes. <laughs> you, you need to do both. Okay, um, no, it's true, it's true. <laughs> I know when I write stuff down, it, it, it also helps me remember, actually. Yes. Also helps me connect with uh, the, the person, too. Look here. Aha. So, uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> nice, man. That's similarities. Um, so, yeah. so, so I, I know you wanted uh, to talk a little bit about uh, staying uh, creative um, during the pandemic. Yes, yes. Um, so, you know, I, 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 you know, obviously I've watched your show. Um, I watch uh, Gary V's show. That's how that's actually how we, we came across each other, right, through Twitter and so on. And I see that the psychological effects of the pandemic are very, very serious. So yes. early on, I told myself, I'm not going to let the pandemic defeat me psychologically. So now, how do I combat that? So part of it was, you know what? I lived through a war and a revolution. So, you know, a virus, you know, I think, you know, we can kind of work our way through that, right? If you didn't get killed by bombs, you know, and, 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 and stuff. So virus, we should be able to maneuver around it, right? So what I do is on a daily basis, right? This is daily habit. I go out and I create content, right? I don't, I don't create an Oscar winning, you know, video clip every day, right? In fact, I don't create any Oscar winning video clip, right? <laughs> but I go out and I create content. So a few months ago, taking Gary's advice, I joined TikTok right, which uh, at the time of your show now, over 2 billion downloads of the app have happened, okay? This means things need to, are going to be serious. Another second point is now TikTok has hired as their CEO, the head of streaming from Disney, okay? So they're telling people, we're gonna take this app to the next level. Okay. And again, if you watch Gary V since last year or two years ago, he's been pounding, you know, the table He's like, you got to get on TikTok. So eventually I got on and I'm amazed by the platform, the organic reach, the authenticity. So I'm out every day creating content for Instagram, for Facebook and for TikTok. So what I'm trying to do now is I'm trying to create content which can be actually placed in a variety of platforms in their own way to communicate with right. my own on different ones because my audience on TikTok is different. They're much younger than my audience on Instagram, right? And my, uh, my audience on Facebook is different. However, what you shoot and how you shoot it can all be actually put into a, a different format for that, right? So I've been creating, you know, small tutorials, little wow videos of, you know, how I edit photos and so on. And that's been on my TikTok, which is again, you know, tiktok.com uh, and a little at sign Ali G photo, right? So uh, you know, I would love for people to, to, to check it out as well. Um, so this has really helped me on a daily basis to say, you know what? Now I've done two hours of content creation. Now I'm going to edit this content. And now I'm going to think of what I'm going to do tomorrow or the next day. 
right? And this takes the mind off of all the negative news, which, you know, the media love to put out, right? Uh, you know, Crime and COVID, isn't it? <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. Because because that's what sells, right? I mean, you know, there's there's no there's no news of people saying, oh, you know, this guy helped an old lady across the street. That's never makes the news, right? But if somebody gets you know whatever bad stuff, it's always on the news. So um, so this is part of it. The second part is also again now I'm I'm contacting some of those artists, which because of travel restrictions, travel yes. restrictions, and so on and so forth they're no longer able to travel for work. And I say, hey, I would love to do a collaboration project. Are you down with it, right? And in fact, I've got two photo shoots and video shoots for this coming weekend. One is with a famous makeup artist and another one is with a famous TikToker in Hong Kong. He's got over, I think, 120,000 you know, followers and we're planning to do some, some creative collaboration where I'm gonna create these videos and we've got a fourth person to take the behind the scenes. Right. So in one day, we hope to create six to eight pieces of content just from those photo shoots. OK, so this is, so this so this is the, the, the second part is contacting those people I used to work with and also new people reaching out. Say, hey, guys, now I'm on this platform. I've got this body of work. I would love to work with you. What do you think? And I would say, honestly, nine times out of 10, people are very receptive. The time when they're not receptive is mainly because either they're busy with family stuff. Uh, or they're actually not in the territory. They're not in the country. They had gone to, let's say, Europe before the pandemic, and they're stuck there, right? They can't come yeah. back, right? So I would say, you know, uh, that's one of the main ways that I try to uh, psychologically uh, stay sane. Awesome, man. Uh, yeah, and I would agree with everything that you just said. Like for the psychological, it, so like because I record the show twice a week. Yeah. It, it's a little less now, but like, especially at the because you we kind of got used to it. But at the beginning of COVID, when it was uh, super strange and it's yeah. we've never seen really anything like this before. Right. Like, it's something that, and I wasn't working at the time. It really right. kept me uh, going, just talking to different people, doing some social media lives, right, and uh, doing my show and that sort of thing. Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. It's. I think. I think. You know. You. You've. You've come up. Uh, with your show uh, at an excellent time, um, and you know the, the the people that you're getting on are, is a very good variety of people, different backgrounds, interesting stories. Um, especially, you know, I, I was listening to one uh, where you had a, a lady uh, artist, right? And and she was talking about she loves to to paint uh, flowers. Oh yeah, uh, right. She loves to paint. She loves to paint flowers. And and you asked her, well, why flowers? And she said, well, I'm a Virgo. Right. Yeah. And, and I was like, well, I'm, I'm Virgo, too. And, you know, I've, I've made a quite a quite a few videos on 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 photographing and videos of flowers. So I had no idea that Virgos and flowers, you know, kind of went together. So that was very interesting. Just something I picked up just from watching your show. Yeah, that, that, that's that's the best part of uh, like even content creation in a general what one person may pick up because of their perspective and experiences. It registers with them, but someone else watching the same clip or pick up on it something else, and then Correct. you've you've impacted like two different people, but not but from a different piece within the same segment. Yes, that's one of the coolest things about content creation. You never know who it's going to impact. Absolutely, absolutely. Cool. And as we uh, come towards the uh, end of our. Uh, uh, show today is you get to ask me one question 
oh. you have a question that you'd uh, like to ask me? Yes, absolutely. So I would like to, uh, first of all, you know, thank you. Uh, thank your audience uh, for putting this sh show together, for letting people's voices be heard, um, for having, you know, people with different backgrounds uh, who appreciate different from multiple uh, people from different cultures. Right, because I think you've done a fantastic job of getting a variety of people. Right, so first Definitely I want to get better as the show becomes more known. Right, too. exactly, exactly. So, 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 so first of all, I wanted to, to say thank you for that, for having me on the show. Uh, and secondly, my question is, you know, where do you want to take this? Right, because yeah. you know, it's, it's fine. You're creating content. You're having some fun. We're having some tea, and that's and that's great. And we're learning some fun facts. But you know, where where do you want to take this? Where you know, how how big do you want tea with Mike, or how small do you want tea with Mike to go? And where do you want tea with Mike to go? You like, you know, you want to have a, a, a TV show, or you know, you're looking for sponsors because I think if you put that uh, word and that dream, let's say, or wish out there into the universe, you will naturally attract the people and the vibes and the things to make that a reality because people like myself, right? Especially when we come across, you know, young content creators like yourself, right? Um, I always try to support, right? I always try to say, you know what, what can I do to help, right? So, so if I can connect you with people who are gonna take you to the level you wanna go to, I wanna know where do you want it to go? And I want that also for the benefit of your audience. Awesome, all right, so. I'm dreaming big because it's uh, so, and it, because it's, it's it's kind of like a snowball or a flower. I'm building it from the bottom, from nothing, from uh, from dirt. So I want it to go huge. It's mm -hmm. kind of cool that it's already been seen in 45 countries around around the world. So so yeah. So I want it to grow to a global scale. Mm -hmm. It would be cool to open like a flagship uh, tea shop mm -hmm. uh, where, where people can uh, come in and. Have, tell stories, create conversations, uh, network. So that relates back to your story. You've always been networking, and one opportunity has mm. led to the next, and then you correct and um, put in the, the the hard the hard work, so the work ethic to capitalize on that opportunity to take you to the next level. So it's cool to have a tea shop to create opportunities for other people and to drink tea with minimal digital. So yeah. that's cool and. Uh, and then also eventually to, to 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 take it bigger and to scale it and sponsorship would uh, be cool and it's even some more like media attention mm. on a, on a, on a bigger scale to help the growth. Okay. Uh, yeah, and then eventually I, I want to be making a full time income from uh, Team with Mike. So that's in a nutshell. Okay, fantastic, fantastic. I think I think uh, you know you've got you've put the foundation in place. Right, you're creating great content. Um, so I think just keep on creating great content, keep hustling, right? And those things that you you mentioned, they're gonna come, you know, one by one across in some, you know, some shape or form, right? So you know, so so when you're talking about, you know, uh, sponsorship and and so on, I think you know, off offline, I can you know uh, talk to you uh, about some ideas uh, as, as well, right? So. So can we so can we can we can we take a can we take a photo with our uh, with our with our with our with our with our, with our teacups uh, here? I want to take that. Yeah, good. Hold on. That's for my awesome. I love that teacup you have. It's love fantastic. it. Yes. So thank you again uh, for having me on the show. I really appreciate your time. Um, it's early morning here in Hong Kong. I'm yes. gonna go. I'm gonna go about the rest of uh, my day, and I wish you and all your viewers a fantastic time ahead. I would like to. 
always end uh, everything that I do as far as, you know, uh, media and social media on a positive uh, giving note. So uh, what I, the message I want to share today is there are a lot of small businesses who are suffering during this pandemic, okay? Uh, you know, uh, small medium enterprises, restaurants, cafes, because they just they just can't survive with people don't go, right? Because takeout can only do so much. So yeah. what, I, what I would like to encourage is for you and also for your viewers, go on to your favorite restaurant um, through Google and Google the, their name, whatever restaurant or coffee shop is in your neighborhood, go under the reviews of Google and put a nice review for them, okay? They will wake up the next day seeing this positive review that some random person has put, and you're gonna make their day so much better. Not yes. only that, not only that, you're gonna make their Google ranking better, and you're gonna put them in a mood where they're gonna be giving a lot more effort into whatever they do. And they will also, that energy, will also come back to you 10, 100,000, 100,000 times back from the universe through karma. So if everybody can go and find a small business who you know is struggling, put a positive review for them, imagine that positivity that you're creating uh, for yourself and for the world around you. So that's the final thing that I would like to uh, leave everyone with. Well, the great way to uh, end the show today. So Ali, thank you so much for spending some uh, time with me today. I definitely learned a lot. Uh, we got a whole, we got every single word on this page. It's a story in it, in itself. Oh, oh one, one final thing before you go, sure. take a picture of this. Okay, hold on, hold on. All right, okay. Yeah, yeah. So let me see your face. Bring it down a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good, good, good. Yeah. Got it. Got it. Got it. That's good. All right. Cool. Yeah. Thank okay. you. See, we're content creating. Yes. <laughs> That's yeah, right. Awesome. Well, Ali, again, thank you. And guys, this was another episode of the Tea with Mike show. And you'll be able to watch this episode of the show in uh, two parts because there were like 30 fantastic stories within uh, the questions that they asked today. And you'll be able to see this at teawithmike.com. So one more time, thank you, Ali. Thank you, Mike. Really appreciate it. Take care. Bye-bye. It's the Tea with Mike show.